Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. I'm so glad to see all of you today. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, God, if, if, uh, if we're asleep right now, I pray, God, that you would wake us up. Wake us up to your presence around us. God, I pray, God, that we would not take it for granted that today is a day that we get to experience you. Today is a day that we get to spend time with fellow believers to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to speak life into each other, to hear your word. Today's a good day. Today's a day that you made for us. God, I pray that we would be attentive to what it is you want to say to us today, God. God, every single day is a gift from you. So God, I pray that we would have a positive attitude I pray, God, that we would be grateful and thankful today. I pray, God, that we would be filled up with your spirit. And God, as you fill us up, I pray, God, that we would pour out your words and your encouragement and your truth everywhere we go. That the light you shine into us, you would reflect out into the whole the world so that all the world can see you and glorify you and praise you. We love you, Lord, and I pray that you would speak through me today. God, as we look at the Ten Commandments, God, I pray that we would see the joy that comes from obedience to you. We love you, Lord. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 21. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 21. So it says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, 
or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Well, today we're continuing our series called Learning to be Free. We're in the book of Exodus because that's what we're doing as believers. Not only have we been saved, but now we're free to live a life as believers who follow God. And so we're asking, how do we live that life? And that's the question that the Israelites were asking once they were saved out of slavery in Egypt. And today, what are we doing? We're looking at the Ten Commandments. Now, when we talk about commandments, how many of you like to receive commandments? How many of you like for someone to tell you what to do or what not to do? Nobody really seems to like that. If you don't believe me, try giving someone commandments, and you'll see that people don't generally like being given commandments. We have a Okay, so we know someone doesn't like eating commandments, and he doesn't like eating commandments. Okay, so I don't even have to prove that now. Y'all just proved it to me. <laughs> but we don't like being given commandments. We have a, a, a negative conception of commandments. But what if you went skydiving? Has anybody ever gone skydiving here? I didn't think anybody. I, I haven't gone skydiving. But let's just imagine. Let's just use our imagination right now. Imagine if you went skydiving. You're on the plane. You're about to jump out. What if you said, hey, instructor, like, when am I supposed to deploy my parachute? You know, at what, at what point? What if it doesn't come out? Is there a backup? What if he said, I'm sure you'll figure it out. How would you feel? Uh, I'm not yeah. Say, so, uh, I could use some commandments <laughs> right now. What if you were visiting a friend who lived in another country? When you said, hey, how do I get to your house? What if they said, I'm sure you'll figure it out. How would you feel? How would you feel if you started a new job at a restaurant? And on your first day on the job, when you were trying to learn how to cook the items on the menu, he said, hey, uh, boss, how do I cook the items on the menu? What if they said, I'm sure you'll figure it out. How would you feel? What if the Israelites, when they were coming out of slavery in Egypt and trying to find out how to live in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, what if when they were trying to find that out, God said, I'm sure you'll figure it out. What, what if we as believers in Jesus set free from a life of slavery to sin and fear of death. What if we said, God, how am I supposed to live now that I've been set free by the blood of Jesus? What if God said, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Well, thank God we don't have to worry about that ever happening. Why? Because he gives us commandments. Commandments are good. 
we don't like being told what to do because a lot of times we think we know what to do. We think we can figure it out. But God tells us, no, I have it figured out for you. And unless you listen to my commandments, you'll be lost. You'll be wandering around in circles. God's commandments are good. In Psalm 119, verse 19 through 20, and when you read Psalm 119, that's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. What's it about? It's about how good God's laws and God's commandments are. And in that chapter, the psalmist said, I am a stranger on earth. God, do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Now, the psalmist wanted God's commandments. He wanted them. And why did the psalmist want God's commandments? Because he knew that God's commandments are good. And that's what I want us to see today. I want us to see that God's commandments are actually good. And we should crave them and want them like the psalmist craved them and wanted them. So we're going to look at how good God's commandments are. How? By looking at our passage today. And when we look at our passage today, I believe our passage will show us four things about God's commandments. I'll tell them to you up front what we're going to be looking at. So our passage shows us what God's commandments are. Our passage shows us what God's commandments are for. Our passage shows us where God's commandments lead. And our passage shows us how we obey God's commandments. So the first one we're looking at, what God's commandments are. What are God's commandments? Well, when we look at all of the Ten Commandments and we break them up, the first four, what are the first four about? They're about our relationship with God. Now the last six, what are they about? They're about our relationship with other people. And even the fourth one, honor God with the Sabbath, is also about other people, our neighbors. Make sure you don't overwork the foreigner residing with you, your daughter, your son, your servant. All of God's commandments are either about our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. And what does it say to do in relationship to God and in relationship to our neighbor? It says to love them, honor them, serve them. If we're going to summarize the Ten Commandments, it's basically this. Love God and love your neighbor. That is what the Ten Commandments are saying to us. Even Jesus summarized it this way. One time, when somebody asked Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments in the law? And this is in Matthew chapter 22. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus said, hey, if we're going to sum up what God commands, it's love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why would God give us these commandments? You don't give someone commandments if they're already doing that, right? If, some, if somebody's obsessed 
Why? Do you notice if your husband is obsessed with football and they're watching it, you don't have to say, hey, watch football. They're already doing it. You only give commandments when somebody is not doing something. Why is God commanding us to love him and love our neighbor? Because we're not doing it. We love ourselves. Our life is very self-centered, but not God-oriented and not neighbor-oriented. So what is God doing when he commands us to love God and love our neighbor? What he's doing is he's giving us an invitation. He's giving us an invitation to a new way of life and a better way of life. We're always saying, why is my life not the way I think it should be? And yet, our life is so self-centered, so self-oriented. And God says, your life would be so much better if it was oriented towards me and it was serving those around you. Not forgetting yourself, but not totally fixated on yourself. What are God's commandments? They're an invitation to a new way of life. Not just a new way of life, a better way of life. When I, so this is back in, gosh, 2008. When I was a freshman in college, you know, when you're going into college, it's exciting, but it's kind of scary because you've been in one place your whole life, but now you're going off to a new place, a new lifestyle, a new way of living. And so I remember being excited, but also kind of, I don't know how this is going to be, but I knew I was going to room with one of my best friends from high school. So I thought this will be fun. But then I didn't take into account the fact that he was on the football team. So that meant I hardly ever saw him. It was just pretty much me alone in my dorm room. And so my first week of college, I was miserable. I was extremely homesick. I wanted to go home as soon as possible. I hated it. I hated college. And I remember my older cousin, Rachel, she texted me because she's older. She'd been to college, so she was checking on me. She texted, Cody, how are, you, how are you liking college? Are you enjoying it so far? And I was very honest. I hate it. I hate college. She said, well, okay, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? And I was honest again. Well, I, I just pretty much hang out in my, in my dorm room because it's safe there. I'm comfortable there. I know my roommate. I don't know anybody else in this college. So what did she say? She said, Cody, if your school is throwing any events, if there's anything to attend, go to it. Don't stay in your dorm. Get out. Go to things. So I thought, well, tonight there is a bowling night for the freshmen. I don't want to go. I want to stay here in my dorm room. But okay, obviously my way is not working. I'm pretty miserable. I'm going to try Rachel's way. So you know what? I went to that bowling event that night and that changed everything because I met so many people that would later become close friends and I started going to events rather than staying in my room. And now I look back at college, it was one of the happiest four years of my entire life. I look back on college with joy because I stayed in my dorm. No because of the people that I met. And I wouldn't have met those people if I wouldn't have accepted that invitation to get out and go. And a lot of people might consider that just a command, go out to events. But it wasn't just a command, it was an invitation to a new way of life and a better way of life. Why did Rachel 
tell me to do that? Does she just enjoy telling people what to do? No, she loved me. And because she loved me as my cousin, she told me something that would be good for me, something that would be helpful for me. And God doesn't give us commandments to just tell us what to do. God gives us commandments because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. So what do I want us to do? I want us to stop thinking of the Ten Commandments as a rule book and start thinking of the Ten Commandments as an invitation. Yes, they are commandments. I'm not saying treat them as just suggestions. Take them seriously, but realize that they're not just some random rules. No, they're an invitation from God to a new way of life, a better way of life. So that's what God's commandments are. They're an invitation. What are God's commandments for? Well, verse 12 will give us a little bit of an idea of what they're for. In verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What is God giving these commandments for? For our good. These are what the commandments are for because God has our good in mind. And not even just here. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. What does God say in Deuteronomy 5, 29? He says, Oh, that their hearts, the Israelites, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. And this is something that God repeats over and over. And this is something that Moses repeats over and over. Obey these commands. Why? So that it may go well with you in the land that God is giving you. God is giving these commandments to us for our good. But you know what? We don't trust them. You know, some of them we do trust. If I don't have a problem with stealing, I can look at the command, do not steal, and say, I totally agree with that. But I can look at the commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor and say, ooh, I I don't like that because I like to sometimes bear false witness against my neighbor if it helps me to get further in life. Sometimes we don't trust God's commandments. Why? Because we view them as restrictions. God, you're restricting me by telling me what to do and what not to do. Now, you might think I'm about to say, well, these aren't actually restrictions. No, these are restrictions. These are definitely 10 restrictions. But what I want us to see is that these are restrictions that we need. We need these restrictions. Not long ago, I heard a sermon by one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, and he shared an illustration that's really stuck with me. He talked about how when we see a fish, how does a fish breathe? How does a fish take in oxygen? Well, not through the air. A fish takes in oxygen through water. Now, let's say I saw a fish underwater. I said, it's restricted by water. I'm going to take it out and set it free. If I took it out of that restriction of water, what would happen to it? It would die. It would die. Why? Because it didn't have the right restriction. Jim Keller says that 
Freedom, true freedom, is not about being restrictionless. It's about finding the right restrictions. And if we're the fish in this analogy, what are the Ten Commandments? They're the water. We tend to view God's commandments as something, I don't want somebody to restrict me, so we jump out of them. We say, I'm not going to be restricted. I don't have to obey these commandments. But then we die. You're going to die if you don't obey God's commandments. And that's not a threat. That's just reality. That's just as much of a fact as a fish is going to die if you take it out of the water. No, the Ten Commandments aren't just restrictions. They're the right restrictions. And let me ask you a question. If God knows the right restrictions to give freedom to a fish, why do you think he wouldn't know the right restrictions for you? No, when God gives you restrictions, he knows what's best for you. He's giving these commandments to you. Why? For your good. They're not just restrictions. They're the right restrictions, which means we shouldn't try to jump out of them. No, we should jump into them and swim in them and live in them, even if we don't feel comfortable in them, even if at the moment we don't feel like doing what they're saying to do. Just like a fish finds freedom by swimming in water, we can find freedom in the life God has called us to by obeying what he commands. So what are God's commands? An invitation. What are they for? You're good. Where do God's commandments lead? Well, let me be very clear up front where they don't lead. God's commandments don't lead us to salvation. They don't lead us to salvation. Now, a lot of times we get this backwards. We say, I have to obey so that I can be saved. But the Bible says, no, you're saved so that you can obey. We get, it the totally, we get it totally mixed up because we get it the opposite. We say, I have to be good enough for God. But the Bible over and over again says, you can't be good enough for God. What did Paul say? He said, it's, for it is by grace that you have been saved, not, not by works so that no one can boast. And even without looking at the New Testament, we can see this in the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 2. What does verse 2 say? It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you notice verse 2 comes before any of the commandments? Before any of the commandments come, God has already saved them. So obeying God's commandments doesn't lead to being saved because God brought them out by his grace. It was free. It was not because of anything that they had done. It was all what God was doing for them. But if obeying God's commands don't lead to salvation, then where do God's commands lead? They lead us to enjoying what we were saved for. Why were the Israelites saved from Egypt? To be close to God. Why are we saved by Jesus from sin and death? To be close to God. And God's commandments lead us to experiencing what we were saved for. I mean, look at verse 3. Look at the very first commandment. Right off the bat, as soon as God can give us his commandments, he immediately says, you shall have no other gods before me. What is God's deepest heart and God's deepest desire? 
that we would be close to him. God says, I don't want anything to come between me and you. So put nothing between me and you. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God and he will come near to you. How do we come near to God? Notice James is already talking to believers. He's talking to people who are already saved. But he says, come near to God. And how do we come near to God? We obey what he commands. Do you realize that the most important commandment is the first commandment? Because every violation of the Ten Commandments comes from a violation of that first commandment. Anytime we break any of these commandments, it's because we're putting something between us and God. How do we come near to God? We obey what God commands. And when we obey what God commands, as we were meant to, we experience God's salvation as we were meant to. Think about Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen, who was Stephen? He was a church leader, but he was also the first person in the Bible to die for believing in Jesus. And Stephen was going around doing powerful things, healing people, bringing people to the Lord. But of course, that got him into trouble. And people brought him before the Sanhedrin, which was a council of all the religious leaders of the day. And when they asked him to give an account of what he was speaking, he boldly preached Jesus. But they didn't like what he had to say. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60, it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, what did Stephen do here that nobody else did? Everybody else here would claim to know God. Everybody else would claim to follow the Ten Commandments. But what were they doing? They were bearing false witness. They were committing murder. They were not obeying God's commandments. What was Stephen doing? He was loving God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. What did he say? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In other words, what is that first commandment? Have no other gods before me. I want to be close to you. What did Stephen say? God, I want to be close to you. Receive my spirit. He was loving God. And when he was being stoned to death, what did he say? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. As Stephen was being stoned to death, what was he doing? He was obeying God's commandments. Now, who out of all these people that claim to believe in God and follow God and worship God, which of them 
saw God. Which of them experienced closeness to God? It was the one that was obeying God's commandments. Because that's why God gives us his commandments. That's where these commandments are meant to lead. Closeness to him. Intimacy with him. Do you see that Stephen is the only one here who had that? Why? Because he was the only one obeying what God commands. Stephen's obedience didn't give him a relationship with God. Stephen's obedience didn't save him. But Stephen's obedience led him to experience a closeness with God that nobody else there was experiencing. Now, in order to make sense of this, what we have to see what was going on when God was giving them the Ten Commandments. What was going on when God was giving them the Ten Commandments? What was he doing? When God gave them the Ten Commandments, God was making a covenant with them, an exclusive covenant. He said, I'll be your one God. You'll be my one people. And do you know what? We make exclusive covenants all the time. How do we make those exclusive covenants? Where do we see those exclusive covenants? In marriage. When you marry someone, you're saying, I'll be your one spouse, you'll be my one spouse. And that's what God was doing when he gave them the Ten Commandments. He was saying, I'll be your spouse, you'll be my spouse. Now, when you marry someone, what do you do? You, when you marry someone, you find out what pleases them. You find out what pleases them. And we don't have to guess and wonder, God, what pleases you? Because in the Ten Commandments, God has shown us what pleases him. God says, it pleases me when you love me. And when you love the people that I made, that are around you, made in my image, that's what pleases me. When you marry someone, you find out what pleases them, and you do it. If I'm married to someone, let's say that I try as hard as I can to find out what pleases them. And then once I find out what pleases them, I do it. I serve them as best I can. I'm there for them in sickness and in health till death do us part. I'm there for them as much as I can be. Does that make me marry to them? No, it doesn't. What does it do? It draws me closer to them. How do you become closer to your spouse? You find out what pleases them and you serve them and you seek to do what pleases them. Whereas on the other hand, let's say I'm married and I know what pleases my spouse, but I totally dismiss it. I say, I don't care. I really could care less what pleases you. I'm not going to serve you. I'm going to live for myself. Does that mean that I'm not married to you anymore? No. It doesn't mean that I'm not married. But how close am I going to be to my spouse if that's my attitude? I'm not going to be very close at all. Do you see... God's commandments are not meant to make us married to him. We're already married to him when we believe in him. When we say, you'll be my God, I'll be your person. But his commandments, they're meant to lead us to intimacy with him, to closeness with him. And that is why James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. That is why Stephen could feel close to God even as rocks we're descending on him because he was obeying what God commanded. And nothing can keep you from God when he gives you a way 
to be close to him. Obeying God's commandments will lead you closer to a closer and more intimate relationship with God. But the last question we're asking today is, okay, I see what God's commandments are. I see what they're for. I see where they lead. But there's a problem. I'm not very good at obeying them. And throughout the Bible, everyone in the Bible has been bad at obeying God's commandments. So do we have any hope at all? Why are we studying this if we can't do it? How do we obey God's commandments? Our our passage actually shows us how to obey God's commandments. Look at verses 18 through 20 with me. In verse 18 through 20, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will do what? Will keep you from sinning. Now, when we first read those verses, we think that what they're doing is probably a bad thing. But actually, Moses says what they're doing is a good thing. The fear of God is good. Why? Because it keeps us from sinning. But we don't understand this because we don't understand what the fear of God is. The fear of God, what Moses is talking about, is not the fear associated with Halloween or seeing maybe a spider. The fear of God is a reference to being filled with reverence for God. Being filled with a sense of wonder. Being filled with a sense of awe and amazement. You know, we talked about this a while ago, and I, I used the example of looking over the Empire State Building. And that's what they were experiencing, except on a much grander scale, when they experienced God on Mount Sinai. And he said, that is a good thing because it will keep you from sinning. But they kept sinning. What was happening? They didn't sin here because they feared God. But as time went on, they forgot God. They forgot about this experience with God. And their reverence for God got smaller and smaller and smaller. And their sins grew greater and greater and greater. There's a direct correlation between lacking reverence for God and sinning more and more against God. And Moses, even before he died, Before Moses died, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 29, he said to the Israelites, I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I have commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. Why did the reverence not last? Here's why their reverence didn't last. Because God's commandments were written in their Bibles, but God's commandments were not written on their hearts. It was all head knowledge. It was not heart knowledge. But God, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, said, I won't leave my people that way. 
I'm going to do something so incredible, so amazing, that it won't just be in their heads, it'll be written on their hearts. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. How does God write his law on our hearts? He said he would write his law on our hearts. How does God write his law on our hearts? By showing us his heart. By showing us his heart. How was it that Stephen could love God as rocks were being thrown at him? Most people, if rocks are being thrown at them, they say, obviously the God that I serve doesn't really care about me. And it was a mistake to follow him because look where it got me. But Stephen doesn't say that. As rocks are being thrown at him, he says, God, draw me nearer to you. Draw me closer to you. Take me. Take my spirit. As rocks are being thrown at him, what does Stephen say? He says, Lord, forgive those who are throwing them at me. Most people, when their neighbors are killing them, they don't love them. What, what was going on? How was that Stephen could love God and love his neighbors as he was being stoned to death? was because he knew that Jesus loved him when he was being crucified to death. And what did this do to Stephen's heart? Stephen's heart was impacted by Jesus in a way that everybody else there, their heart had not been impacted by because they did not believe in Jesus. They did not accept Jesus. But when Stephen saw the love of God for him in Jesus, what did it do? It gave him a reverence and a sense of wonder and awe deeper than anything the Israelites ever experienced on Mount Sinai. Because on Mount Sinai, they saw thunder, they saw lightning, they saw smoke, they saw fire. But on Golgotha, what do we see? We see God himself coming down to lay his life down for us so that our lives can be raised up with him. What did they hear? They heard thunder. They heard trumpets. But on Golgotha, what do we hear? We hear God himself crying out for us, groaning for us, which fills us with a deeper reverence, a deeper sense of awe, a deeper wonder than anything we could ever experience on Mount Sinai. And when we are filled with wonder and awe at how much God loves us, 
What does that cause us to do? It causes us to love him. And this is how we obey God's commandments. Loving him. But we won't love him until we're filled with reverence at how much he loves us. Jesus told us this right before he went to the cross in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said to the disciples, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you don't, you won't keep my commandments. What, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that if you love me, it will change my commandments from a duty to a joy. You'll say, God, I no longer just have to do what you say. I want to do what you say. Because I know that everything you say is for a new way of life. Everything that you say is for my good. Everything that you say is meant to lead me closer to you. And I can only experience by accepting your love for me. And I can only experience your love for me when I'm filled with reverence and awe at what you did for me on the cross. God's commandments are an invitation to a new way of life. And it's only through Jesus that we can say, yes, let's pray. Lord, draw us closer to you today. Like Stephen, we want to be closer to you. Like Moses, we want to be closer to you. And we can only be close to you because you drew close to us on the cross, Lord. Thank you, God. We're thankful for your commands on Sinai, but we're also, more than that, thankful for the birth of your son in Bethlehem. We're thankful for his death on the cross on Golgotha. We're thankful for his resurrection from the tomb. Lord God, we thank you so much that you don't just give us your commands, but you're with us, God. You invite us to a life of closeness with you. And God, that means that we're free to obey what you command because we can be filled with a sense of reverence, wonder, and awe only by seeing what you did for us on the cross. I pray, God, that we would look to Jesus today, the author and perfecter of our faith, and never try to obey in order to be saved, but to obey because we've been saved. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.